welcome to the B2B Digitize podcast, where leaders of B2B technology startups and scale-ups learn how to use digital transformation to differentiate, educate, build trust, improve competitive positioning, close sales faster without compromise, and scale revenue growth. Now here's your host, Joshua Feinberg from SP Home Run. Hi, it's Joshua Feinberg from the B2B Digitized podcast. And I have with me today a very special guest and good friend, Cynthia Terpstra, who is head of marketing at ReadyWorks. Cynthia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Joshua. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. And thank you for coming on the show. The first place I think it would be super helpful to start is to give a little bit about your background of how you ended up in your current role leading marketing at ReadyWorks, what ReadyWorks does, what were some of the prior steps along your career journey that that got you to where you are? Okay, sure. You know, I spent most of my career in B2B marketing, you know, starting with, you know, communications company, actually AT&T, and working in everything B2B from, you know, the Fortune 500 to startup to kind of everything in between. So really that background in B2B, but I've also worked in B2C and actually some nonprofit work as well. Um, I've actually also worked in, you know, every functional area there is in marketing, product marketing, you know, content strategy, digital marketing, PR, um, and then, you know, ultimately putting it all together to drive the demand gen and lead gen campaign. So taking all those different functional areas, putting together, and then having something that really drives revenue for companies. And that's kind of having that background is what led me to ReadyWorks. And I really discovered over the last several years that I really enjoy working for SaaS companies. You know, it was one of those things I didn't realize how much I enjoyed it until you know, I really thought about it. And, you know, I'm just, I'm a problem solver by nature. So working with a company that has a solution to tackle a problem that everybody's facing in their real life, you know, their, their daily work life really appeals to me. So that's kind of how I ended up at ReadyWorks and, and joined that team. That's terrific. You know, what I found is super interesting, too, is when you think about the uh, nature of the problems that you tackle on a marketing team in a relatively small company that's got a few dozen employees compared to a Fortune 1000 with tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of employees, there's business problems you're solving, but they definitely have a different context. And I've had similar kinds of experience of working with some huge Fortune 1000 companies earlier on in my career and startups a little more recently. How has that kind of changed your outlook of being able to see both sides of the the puzzle, depending on whether it's a, a huge marketing organization or a marketing team of one or just in the single digits? You know, it, it's funny. Um, you know, when you're part of a large team, um, obviously you have more to draw on and more resources to lean on and, and you can build a deeper bench. But, you know, the thrill of being kind of a small company too, who's who's you know new entrant to the market, you know creating something out of nothing, creating a new category of products or services, um, and really figuring out how you're going to do that. Starting small, building from there, leveraging what you've got. Um, there's a lot of appeal to that, you know, for me, and um, you know it, it still comes down to how do you build that that team and how do you work with what you've got, you know, taking what you know and you can do well, and then how do you bring in additional resources, you know, for example, through freelancers or through agencies that can kind of fill some of those gaps that even if you have the skill set to do it, it's impossible to do it all, right? So you have to you have to leverage that expertise. You have to know who to go to to help build that team as you continue to grow. 
Yeah, no, that's a great explanation too of thinking of, yes, it's good to be able to play all of the different positions, but it's really not all that, but you take like a baseball team, for example, they have the concept of a super utility player who can play six or seven different positions. But the key thing is they can't play all six or seven positions. <laughs> if the second baseman is on, if the second baseman's on the injured list and they're covering there, they aren't going to be a very effective emergency catcher or, or, or center fielder. Exactly. It's exactly, you know, and where you can, you can, you know, be that utility player, but also know, you know, that the analogy you gave is great. You know, when do you say, okay, this is a role I'm playing today and here's who I can leverage um, to, to do those other things and building that, that roster star players who can really help you win the game. So speak of, we're going to use a baseball analogy. Yeah, you never know what happens. Our, our hometown baseball team, best of intentions, I think there's four or five of their star players that are in one shape or form injured. So you have your whole farm yeah. system, which had a, a challenge last year with the whole minor league system being shut down. Uh, the, the, one of the big areas I wanted to ask you about is when you think about your career experience, when somebody approaches you that's early on in their career and they're just getting into B2B digital, uh, maybe you know them through your professional network. Maybe it's someone that's an alumni from your school that was introduced and they, they reach out to you and they're looking for advice on what they should be thinking about earlier on in their career to get into B2B digital marketing. You know, I'm a firm believer in it all starts with the customer. It all starts with really listening to them, really understand who they are, what problem are they trying to solve, what are their pain points, how would their work life improve if you could eliminate those pain points? You know, where do they go for information? What, who do they trust to make their decisions? And how do you want to engage with them? You know, it really starts there. You know, you really have to get to know that customer, understand what makes them tick, understand, you know, why they would even have a need for your solution, but really start with the listening. And I think that's something that's kind of become a lost art form, you know, in many areas of our lives today. Um, but it's so crucial and it's so important because if, if you don't start there and you don't really understand the customer and you don't really listen to what they're telling you, all the tactics in the world aren't going to help you. They're all going to fall flat. Yeah. I, it, the thing is, everyone's today looking for a quick fix. Come on, there's got to be an app that allows you to just get all of the customer insight and, and magically get to figure out the whole go-to-market strategy. And I reminds me of the, uh, the Lean Startup book with the guy that there's no answers in the building, no matter how much you whiteboard and brainstorm and kick it around internally, like, you know, maybe between marketing and sales and customer success and product, you can figure out like 20, 25% of it, but the marketplace is always so much smarter than we are. And many times they'll help us figure out where our shortcomings are. Yeah, and it changes, you know, I mean, look how much has changed in the past year. You know, everybody had to pivot. And if you're not really listening to your customers and not asking them the questions and probing to really understand a little bit more you know, day in the life for them, you're not going to come up with, you know, A, the marketing tactics you need to help solve the problem for them, but you also may miss an opportunity, something you never even consider. It might give you pause and say, you know what, let's, you know, let's pivot. Let's, let's try something different. You know, it wasn't even in your headspace, but those kind of things come out in the conversations. 
Yeah, that's a, a real big one. A lot of times when I'm working with entrepreneurs that have a startup and they're, they may think they're getting closer to product market fit, but they're definitely still trying to figure out go to market fit and product market fit. And they're like, well, walk me through what a typical timeline looks like. Walk me through what expectations look like. I'm like, look, you know, if you get this content and thought leadership thing right, obviously the first priority is to get more closed one deals. And then everyone in sales always says the second best answer is no. But there's a really interesting thing that I find that happens in this space too, where people can say, I love what your company is about. I love the content that you're putting out there. Look, let me give you the, the inside track here. There's one feature that you're missing. And if your product team can go back and build this, I'm signed up like yesterday and I have five buddies and similar companies. So I think what a lot of people miss out on on startups is really good content marketing, really good thought leadership actually helps them figure out many times the customer insight um, because essentially their early customers help them become product consultants too. Oh, absolutely. We, we see that all the time. You know, it's continuing to refine that based on the need they brought to us and continue to enhance the product. But as you, you know, mentioned also, the content strategy, you know, where we start and then, you know, the more presentations, the more conversations we have with customers, understanding, you know what, it, it might be a little different than we thought, or, you know, maybe the opportunity isn't here, it's over here. So it's that constant refinement, you know, refining what you have, and then also listening to say, you know, maybe this is a new opportunity. This is something we should be talking about because this is um, a real world situation they're dealing with and they need content that helps them solve that. So, you know, you kind of then reprioritize. I know I'm constantly you know, reprioritizing what content is next on deck to get produced based on these conversations that we have with our customers. So it's, you know, it's a balancing act between, you know, what's the SEO opportunity to get yourself discovered, get your website discovered, versus what our customers um, really looking for at the moment that maybe Google hasn't caught up to. So it's a, it's a balancing act at all times. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so much more than just that shifting dynamic of people doing so much more research online and not wanting to talk to the sales teams till they're 60, 70, 80% of the way. It's getting the leadership to see just how much value marketing can add, not only in early stages of the journey, but throughout the whole sales enablement and customer marketing, post onboarding and product marketing. It really is such a key driver with digital transformation. Oh, absolutely. And it's funny, I think, you know, a lot of us have heard the stats, but I you know, saw it again just recently where B2B customers will consume, I've heard up to 13 pieces of content before yeah. they ever want to engage with your sales team. And of that 13, eight is created, you know, in-house or, you know, created by you to push out you know, to your site um, for customers. And then five of the 13 is content that's discovered on third-party sites. So again, it's just so important to have that information and have it available at the right time, at the right place, you know, when your customer is, you know, actively looking for that kind of solution, or they didn't even realize there was a solution to their problem. So making sure that content gets discovered, you know, you know, kind of in the, the, the background when they didn't even realize and they're, they're reading about something else and then it pops up in their feed and they're like, hey, wait, what's that? <laughs> what do you mean I can do this? I think too, there's like a really important role that marketing can play in reprogramming sales professionals and how to deal with all of this. Because if you're a salesperson where you have access to a platform like HubSpot and you can go in and see every single blog post that they've read, every email that they've opened and clicked on, the webinars they've attended, the videos they've watched, 
Um, like if you're going to a sales appointment and you don't take five or 10 minutes to use the x-ray vision to, I always say there's like explicit stuff that they know that they've told you. They know they've told you their first, last, and email, their company size and a few other things like that. But then there's all this great behavioral data that really can help weave a story about what are the, it's not like, what are the buttons to push, but like, what are they really struggling with beyond what they told you about themselves? It's, it's similar to if you look at someone's LinkedIn profile and you see patterns of the kind of content they've shared in the last couple of weeks or the events they've attended. Yeah, oh, that that is so important. I'm so glad you brought that up. It's, you know, you see that all the time. Everybody wants the quick, the quick sale, the quick conversation and doing that kind of research, it's there. And if you take the time to really, again, get to know your customer and see how they're consuming your content, what seems to be important to them, it changes the shape of the conversation. You know, they don't see it as a sales pitch and okay, here we go, Mr. Salesman, <laughs> you're trying to sell me to, wait a minute, okay, you get it, you understand what I'm up against, you know, tell me more. And, and that's just so important in shifting the conversation. Uh, getting them out of the get sales role, though, all the, the negative stereotypes that people have about sales professionals, getting them out of the vendor box and into more of that doctor patient relationship where they're seen as a consultant and educator and subject matter expert. Uh, when yeah. sales teams embrace that, it's awesome. When sales teams are fighting it in this day and age, it's painful to, painful to watch. So these are the cultural, I talk about the importance of like getting the CEO on board. So this trickles from the top down. Obviously it's way more practical in a company with a few dozen employees than it is been a company with tens of thousands of employees. And it's probably more a division director or someone that or some kind of executive sponsor that, that rolls up. But, it, but these are big, big cultural changes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. You see it all the time. You know, we've all gotten the sales pitches. You know, my, my email is flooded daily with, you know, the, 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 the pitches and, you know, you know, the good ones will work. The other ones where it's just, you know, again, going for that that quick pitch, not taking the time to really understand who this customer is and, and why they may have even come to you in the first place, you know, you miss so many opportunities there. Yeah. So that's great advice for someone that's just getting started in B2B. What about somebody that's been doing B2B marketing for 10 or 20 years and maybe the last year has been really hard on them, their company, maybe there was a lot of turnover on their team, a lot of churn among customers and they're feeling a sense of burnout. What would you help a peer colleague like that who reached out to you that was looking for some advice and help on helping them to recharge the batteries? You know, honestly, I'd say it's a lot of the same advice. You know, it starts with a listening. It starts with reacquainting yourself with your customer. Even if you know, you've been doing this a long time, as you said, sometimes you get to a certain point where you're so engrossed in the tactics and you're so engrossed in the analytics, you forgot who the customer is. You know, it's just they become a number and you forgot what it's like to have a conversation with them and really hear them, you know, talk about what their work life is like, you know, where do you fit into that puzzle? And, you know, what are some of the things that now that they're considering that maybe they weren't considering in the beginning? And there's just so much that you can pick up on in these conversations, not only in terms of your marketing strategies, but those aha moments, right? You know, and, and I'm a firm believer and there's so much to learn outside your own industry and so much to take away from, you know, other experiences that you may think never you know, are relevant to what you're doing, but they are, you know, or it's just that that spark of creativity that you weren't planning on that comes out of nowhere because you were listening and you were paying attention and, you know, thinking of things maybe differently than you did before. So kind of taking that that mental break 
and, and coming at it maybe from a different angle than you've been doing it before. So I think, you know, again, those basics of really listening um, are so important. I think the other thing too, you know, in this day and age, marketing has shifted so much. It's become so sophisticated, so specialized. So, you know, getting back to our, our analogy earlier, um, you really have to, you can't do it all. You cannot be an expert in everything now in marketing. You know, you, you're an SEO expert, or you're an advertising expert, or you're a content creation expert, or you know, you're an analytics person. So again, you know, try to learn as much as you can, try to really understand how all the pieces you know, work together, but then leverage the expertise of people who have really gone deep in each of these topics and learn how to put together a good team, you know, to really, really be effective. Yeah, I think it's fantastic insight, especially for startups um, where the role is like somewhere between the general manager of a sports team and like a portfolio manager where you're trying to make sure that they're not overweighted in one area. I, for baseball fans, I would say like, imagine if all your payroll was concentrated in the bullpen um, and in your bench players. So like the, the pitchers that would start the games, like you know, where you were relying on on minor league talent, same thing with people swinging the bat. So it's important. It's the same thing with like a portfolio where people have more, tend to have more aggressive portfolios when they're in their twenties and just starting out. And as they get closer to retirement, it tends to become more conservative. So it's like, okay, how do you decide how much to put into content versus SEO versus search uh, versus uh, paid social, paid search, conversion rate optimization, website building, brand building, field marketing. I was just reminded yesterday, people are starting to pound the table on events again that on a, in a lot of B2B tech companies, 40% of budgets go to conferences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny, you know, again, you know, another great example of, um, you know, we had to think of things differently in the past year with everybody working remotely and not having in-person events. You know, it was really fun to see how many different companies of all different sizes and shapes and industries, you know, got creative in still creating this customer experiences um, and having some fun with it, you know, too. So we're going to have a more small, intimate gathering and maybe we're going to do a wine and cheese tasting, you know, and send out those kinds of things to the customers in advance and make it a little more fun. And I think to a certain degree, people really appreciated that because it was different. You know, we, we all get, as you said, you know, a certain amount of burnout, a certain stage. So again, looking for a different way of doing things, you know, or even now, you know, you always hear people say, oh, we're gonna go old school. We, we're gonna go back to doing it this way. Well, you know, it's because we all get burnout at a certain point. And we all recognize, you know, the marketing tactics for what they are, and they become so overused at a certain point that you're like, oh, you know, you, you just start to tune it out. So, you know, I think there's a lot of great opportunity there if you're just willing to kind of, you know, take that um, fresh approach and really listen to your customers and, and other folks who are out there and see how you can do things a little bit differently. Yeah, I think keeping it fresh, keeping it relevant is so critical to stand out, to differentiate, to compete for attention. Like when I hear people make blanket statements like email marketing is dead or webinars are oversaturated or whatever, it's like, yes, you know, in, in the year we are in right now, you're definitely not innovative by being the first one on your block to have a good segmented email nurturing campaign or have a good effective webinar program, but they still largely work. The key thing is the, the messaging, the value of the segmentation, understanding what actually helps someone as opposed to helping yourself. That's the, the whole, like they're all the time listening to the what's in it for me channel. Yeah. 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 Always be helpful. Always be listening. Always be helpful. Um, yeah. You know, it comes down to execution. You know, you can take the same tactic 
and you can see it work really well because it was executed well, or you can see it fall flat on its face. It's again, all how you put it together, how it relates back to your customer versus, you know, how can I just spin something and get it out there quickly and hope it works? It's like, do it right. You know, it, it's better to take a moment and, and really think through it and do it right than to just rush to get it done and onto the next thing or, or use the, the easiest, fastest approach possible. How does your approach with a lot of this change depending on whether you're building out strategy for early stage, like awareness stage prospects versus people that are more in the middle of the funnel, middle of their journey at the consideration, and then in the later decision stages, do you find that a lot of the companies you work with have an appreciation for those differences and how how do you tend to come at all that? You know, I, I think you have to look still at the buyer's journey, the different stages of, you know, like content creation or, or what you're going to do from them, you know, the different touch points, but then also recognize it's not a linear path that customers, you know, it's a very much squirrely kind of a path as they go through and they consume content and then they circle back, you know, not to mention B2B is a long sales cycle. You know, it can be anywhere from a few months to a few years, depending on your industry and and what you're doing. So you have to keep creating content that they want to come back for, even if it's not immediately. The fact that they know that you're a trusted provider of the content, that what you're giving them is helpful and helps them understand what you offer a little bit better, they'll come back. You know, and and so constantly getting that out there, you know, again, so like in the, the awareness stage, if you're, you know, creating the content, you have to put it out there, one, on your own site and make sure you're using the very best in terms of SEO strategies um, to make sure the content gets discovered, but also putting that content out there when they're not actively searching for it, but it pops up in their feed or on the site that they go to regularly for, for consuming content. You know, and then I think also it's... Um, it's about creating that content in multiple different formats. So, you know, right now, people really are overwhelmed with a lot of content. They know it's out there. They know there's tons of resources they can go to, but, you know, sometimes they have the time to really dive deep into it and and really research and really understand it. Other times they're looking for that quick um, format that they consume quickly. So having the content available, you know, in, you know, video and podcasts, and then of course, written content, it all works together and you're putting it out there. So you're offering it, um, on their terms, you know, offering it in a way that they consume it, um, the way they want to, when they're ready to. So I think continuing to, to develop all that and make sure that's available is, is very important. Um, and then, you know, of course, in the middle stages, you know, pushing a little bit further with information that digs a little deeper and, and helps them understand, you know, how others maybe are using the um, product or service to then the later stage where, you know, you're really giving them those those details, not only in terms of the very specific product details, but also helping them understand how you compare to any competitors, if there's any competitors in space. So again, things like third-party reviews on um, review sites are critical. Um, getting analysts to recognize your solution, getting others to talk about your solution, um, all you know, very important in, in the buyer's journey. The other thing too, I'd like to say that it gets overlooked a lot is the delight stage. And I know other folks call it that as well, but it gets overlooked so often. Everybody, again, they're just pushing things out, hoping to land that, you know, marketing qualified lead, the sales, all that. But really you're creating that customer experience, you know, from very, very, very first touch 
through long after the sale. You know, what are you like to do business with? You know, um, are you creating the content after you've made the sale that helps them onboard quickly, help them really navigate your product, you know, make it easy for them to use it? Um, are you giving them additional things that maybe extends into other areas of um, what they're trying to tackle for their business? And are you measuring that? You know, are you using a net promoter score to see how do they feel about what it's like to do business with your company? Because understanding that, sharing that with your organization, having the conversations around what feedback you get from that is so critical in understanding how you continue to refine um, everything you do as a marketer. And then using that to say, hey, you know, we have someone who has been really just delighted with everything that we've been doing um, in terms of how we've been servicing them. And that becomes a great opportunity to ask them to, you know, provide a review on a site, to do a testimonial, to, you know, talk about your product or service with your peers. You know, we still, I, I think referral is so important. And, you know, we get that. We have happy customers who really enjoy working with us. And they tell, you know, their peers in different industries, you know, and that's, we all trust that, right? You know, who are you going to trust? <laughs> somebody you've never met that just has done very well in terms of popping up on a search engine or somebody you really respect um, in your field who says, you know what, this has been a great experience working with this company. Not only did they have the product that met my needs, but man, every, every conversation I had with them from the CEO down to the you know, project manager helping me onboard is just so positive. They're so easy to work with. You know, their attention to detail is so important. Just what gets them coming back and gets them to share that story with other customers. Yeah, no, that's terrific. One of the interesting things with SaaS companies that I've leaned on more heavily the last couple of years too is not only the formal reviews on the sites on the review sites, but drafting those same people or the, at least the ones that are interested to come on podcasts to be on webinar panels. So not only are they providing positive social proof, but they're helping to become uh, subject matter experts and thought leaders and like co-marketing as an extension of your company. And some of, and there's definitely varying degrees of enthusiasm with helping to spread that content. Beyond that, in some cases, their marketing teams will heavily announce and promote that that client is going to be on a webinar panel with you on their social media. Some of them will write blog posts about it. I've seen some cases where they even treat it as similar to PR, where they put it in uh, a blog post and like a media mention. But I found as a really, really interesting social proof opportunity as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we were getting ready actually to launch a few that have recorded some, some webinars with our customers. Yeah, you know, who do you want to hear from? Do you want to hear from the <laughs> customer who used this to solve a problem and to really talk about their experience, or do you want to hear a sales pitch? And, you know, having that customer going to be able to talk about it um, is so important and, and so meaningful, you know, beyond what we can do. You know, I mean, everything we do as a marker, of course, you know, has value. But again, it's just that that third party credibility, that's everything. And, and so getting every single touch point right with a customer is so critical because that's how you get to that final stage. Uh, I, I look at when you're planning your own live events, when you're planning your own webinars, um, there's like two report card kind of things going on. Like the landing page and the promotional materials that you're using to drive the registrations is very analogous to putting in an application to speak at a conference where you have like the show manager and the advisory committee that's vetting your background and vetting your slides because they certainly want to make sure that you're providing value and then it's not going to be a pitch. And then like the second part of that is 
We just tell people, imagine that you want your webinar to be so valuable that if it was at a big conference, that there's no doubt in your mind that people would hit the mobile app afterwards and you would have one of the highest rated sessions in the entire conference out of dozens and dozens of sessions that are there. So there's like no doubt in your mind that you're going to get invited back next year. And the analog the analogy on that is like the surveys, the polling responses, how many people are receptive to your CTA, but there's so many parallels there is people don't want to, they don't want to attend an infomercial. They want to learn. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And the more you build a reputation for being that kind of person, that kind of company, you know, providing that useful content, um, you know, the more they're going to come back because they trust you. They know that you're, you're trying to help. Right. So yeah, that, that's, Great, great, uh, great uh, insights, I think. It, it's interesting too, is that when people are relatively new to doing webinars, there's a lot of anxiety and like, am I gonna do this the right way? What mistakes should I avoid? I always say like, <laughs> okay, if you have a 60 minute webinar and you look down and like the average session time at the end was 20 minutes, something was really messed up. If you look down and you're like, the average person stayed 57 minutes, you did awesome. Because unlike a physical event, there's nothing remotely rude about someone just exiting out and leaving if you turn someone off and they feel like they're wasting their time. It's just so much higher of a bar to provide value and keep people's attention. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what do you see as some of the bigger mistakes or what do you think is the biggest mistake that you see people making with their B2B marketing playbook? You know, I think if I had to wrap it up under one umbrella, I'd say trying everything at once. You know, I think you have to start with what you can manage and manage that well. Build from there. You know, we have so many tools and technology available to us today, but you can't do everything at once and do it well. So start what you can manage, start with the basics and go from there. You know, and it's funny how often I see the basics overlooked. Um, you know, start with your ideal customer profile. Um, you can't be everything to everyone. So, you know, who is your buyer? You know, who has the greatest need for your solution? How does your company fit into that equation? You know, what's the best fit for your company? Is it a small enterprise? Is it a large enterprise? Is it a specific vertical? You know, really understand that ideal customer profile. You know, spell it out, give it some thought, and then, of course, circle back constantly to say, you know, were we right? Or, you know, is there a whole other audience we hadn't even considered? Because that happens all the time. You think you know, and then all of a sudden, some other customers start coming along. You say, well, this is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't think, you know, there'd be as much of a need over here, but it turns out there is. So, you know, again, always be listening, always be, you know, watching out for those kinds of signals. You know, I think, um, you know, again, some of the basics and getting, you know, things um, in order are, um, you know, look at your website, look at, you know, what you're doing from a digital perspective, make sure everything is, is spot on. So, you know, when you're looking at your website, is it easy to navigate? Are visitors hanging out to learn more by spending more time on the site? Are they coming back or are they just kind of a one trip pony? They come in, they come out, you know, maybe you got their attention the first time, but then that's the last you ever hear from them. Um, you know, test your, your, your website, make sure that, um, you know, it renders correctly across all the browsers, um, all the devices, you know, all, all the basic kind of technical things that, you know, shockingly, I see get overlooked all the time. You know, it looks good in one browser and then you test it somewhere else and, you know, things aren't working properly or it doesn't look good on mobile, whatever, you know, really just make sure you get those basics right. Because again, it's all about that, that customer experience and what's their first impression of you. So, you know, and having consistent tone of voice across, you know, from one page to another, to different blog posts, you know, keeping it all together, make them feel like, 
you know, this is a really good experience for them. Um, you know, again, you know, kind of as you build on, you know, the basics of what you can do, you know, having a good content strategy. You know, we talked about that before, but, um, you know, give them useful information, give them something that they're going to want to come back for, and then give it to them in multiple formats. You know, I mentioned video before, but it's interesting. I saw an article, you know, just the other day too, they mentioned that, um, 68% of folks want to watch video. That's their number one preferred format of content. In addition, the article mentioned that um, sites that include video are 50 times more likely to rank in organic search results than sites that don't have that. And again, why? Because people want to consume video content. Google knows that, and they're going to push the pages that have video higher in the rankings than the pages that do not. So that becomes so important. You know, think about your social media. You know, are you being like the person who just talks about themselves all the time at a party? Or are you pushing out, you know, content that's educational, that's helpful, that's really meant to help people understand how they can solve a problem? Um, or even just, you know, fun, you know, get them to know a little bit more about your organization, get to know them, you know, engage with them. Um, and then, you know, you know, as you build more tactics, things like advertising, don't try to do everything at once. Start with one or two channels. Make sure you refine it. Make sure you see, you know, is your audience spot on who you're going after? What's working? Do you need to kind of change the, the mix of, you know, which channels you're advertising on? And then how do you grow from there? So don't try to tackle everything at once. But, you know, start small and continue to grow as you start to see the results and you start to understand what's working and what's not working. Yeah, I think that's where the customer insight, the buyer persona research can be so helpful on narrowing down the short list. Otherwise, you just constantly get these random requests all the time like, hey, how come we're not doing anything on Clubhouse? Well, you know, we just refreshed our buyer persona research three weeks ago and not one person out of 15 we looked at mentioned Clubhouse. So... And maybe we'll look at it again in another six months, but let's get the <laughs> basics first. Let's get the tried and true YouTube podcasting stuff that we know they actually did mention working. And then we'll circle back to right. that. Always, should we be on TikTok? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what fits for your audience? Yeah. You know, exactly. What's the right fit for your buyer persona? You know, And you know, candidly, the decision makers are going to be different versus other folks in the organization. So make sure you understand the person who's the influencer, the person who's the decision maker, kind of the, the folks in between, and make sure you're speaking in, in, in marketing to those personas correctly. You know, you're gonna, you're gonna market differently to a CIO than you're gonna market to a program manager. So make sure you understand that, make sure you've mapped it out, which tactics and, and messaging aligns with each and go from there. You know, it's, it's, it's so critical. Plus, you know, let's face it, we all have budgets. So you can't be effective in tackling everything at once if you're still living within budget. You know, great if you have millions of dollars to throw at something, of course that makes it easier. But you know, the real world is most of us are, you know, working within a budget. So being, you know, very intentional with your spend and everything you do um, is critical. You know, see what works and continue to grow and continue to evolve, but be realistic with what you can manage, you know, both from a financial perspective and from a team perspective. 
It's always such a challenging conversation too with companies that are new to content to get them to see that like, you know, this ebook or this webinar that we're doing that's doing well now, there's a really good chance that people are still going to get a lot of value from downloading or watching this recording like 6, 12, 18, 24 months out. So if you're trying to figure out what the ROI is going to be three days or three weeks after the launch, you're completely missing on that like a typical company that's all in on content marketing gets 80 or 90% of their leads from things they didn't do that much. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, you know, we say that all the time in our company, it's, it's quality over quantity, right? You know, one meaningful lead that really aligns with your buyer persona, you know, really has a true need for your product is better than 500 leads that don't, you know, it's, you know, make it meaningful, make it um, valuable, you know, for both sides, you know, for both the customers and for the company, make sure it's a good fit, make sure it's a good marriage. And, and, you know, think of it that way, not in terms, you know, not just, you know, how much can we drive, but how much value can we provide and how do we grow in a meaningful way? I spent so much time talking about like LTV, not as much about uh, cost of acquisition that early on in startups, because in a lot of cases, you're still just running a lot of experiments, but the size of the average deal that they envisioned being able to close and how long that customer sticks and what the expansion drives such an amount definitely influences the potential for where you can make the investments versus not. I mean, if you're managing a SaaS company that's selling something on their website for $19 a month or something like that, you better be able to run something that looks a lot more like e-commerce than selling to mid-market or enterprise companies with five-figure and six-figure deals. Exactly. Cynthia, when you think about where we are right now, when you look at what's going on and you think ahead with an 18-month, 24-month time horizon, where do you think we're headed next? Hmm. You know, I think, you know, from a technology perspective, we will continue to use AI to really help shape um, the customer experience, you know, being able to provide that self-service experience, you know, through chatbots or, you know, pushing out, you know, content that they're really aligns with um, what they're looking for. So really, you know, high personalization, high autonomy, I think is, is very important um, for the customers. Um, and we'll see much more of that, you know, especially as, um, you know, the technology gets better and better and smarter and we roll it out appropriately as marketers. You know, I, I think, again, that's the caution of, of doing it right instead of jumping on something because it's available to you, but then creating experience that doesn't really work or frustrating the customer. I, I think we'll, we'll continue to get better and better at that and um, leverage, you know, what's available to really help improve the customer experience on their terms. Um, you know, provide what they're looking for. You know, I think too, conversely, um, especially for digital marketing, I think it's going to be interesting to watch in the next couple of years as privacy becomes more and more of an issue. You know, the, the customers that, that we work with, especially you see in like B2B or, you know, tech savvy customers, um, they know, <laughs> they know what marketing is doing. They, they know how to get around of some of what we're pushing out there. Um, and of course, then there's you know the legislation that can make it um, even more difficult in terms of how you collect information and how to use that. So you know, thinking about that, you know, how do you um, really get the information out to them 
um, working within the confines of you know privacy issues, and then also you know giving them the information in a way that they don't feel like you're taking advantage of knowing that they've been to your site, or it's just so obvious that it's it's being um, you know marketed to for the sake of marketing versus again going back to the listening. You know, um, really, you know, if somebody's going to give up their email um, to you. They know they're going to get marketed to, so make sure then what you do next is just so um, meaningful for them that they're willing to see more of the marketing and know that you're, you know, <laughs> that you're now pushing your marketing ads in front of them, that you're going to send them emails, whatever you're doing, make sure that it's just very, um, you know, it really just hits the mark each and every time. So much is wrapped up in trust. So when you think about like the customer experience and using AI to improve it, that customer experience really starts long before they become customers. It's like the uh, yeah. stores or if you go looking for a new home or something where you go into a parking lot and it says parking for future customers of future residents of if you envision that every prospect that's a good fit is potentially a future customer or future partner and you make the investments and treat them like that. I always, I would say like, it's super important. Um, especially uh, I talk with a lot of people about LinkedIn they're like, Oh, well, I hate when people connect with me on LinkedIn and I'm, I'm initially getting pitched back immediately. I'm like, yeah, they totally don't get it. It's like, it's like walking up to someone that you just met and proposing that you elope um, on the first, yeah. very first conversation. It like, you know, it, you could see Ashton Kutcher making a really funny movie about that, but in real life, it doesn't necessarily play out with the experience that most buyers that are, are on a considered sales process are gonna look like with a B2B tech company. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, that, that's such a great, you know, a saying we see it all the time. It's like, listen, you know, I, I just met you. I wanna date you a little bit first before I marry you. You know, trust. and the other yeah, thing- it's all about trust. It's all about trust. And then, you know, I like to say too, you know, for marketers, I don't remember the exact quote, but it's like, you know, what's the fastest way to ruin something? Throw a bunch of marketers at it, right? Because it's like, oh, this is the latest and greatest technique. So the next thing you know, all the marketers are pouncing on it. And consumers, you know, they're not, they're smart, right? They recognize it. They know, oh, great. You know, I'm going to give you my email because that's the only way to get this content. But now I can expect to get, you know, an email every two days from you. Or I'm going to be chased all over the website with your marketing ads. You know, it's like, okay, again, be thoughtful, be conscious in everything you do. So you create this positive experience. Because if the experience is great and they feel like, you know, everything you did was built on best of intentions for serving them, you know, from, the, from before the sale to long after the sale, they're going to continue to engage with you. But if, you know, the first thing they do results in being pounced on by sales, they're going to quickly exit out, you know, and you're not going to get them back. So, you know, again, keeping those customers you do have, keeping them happy, making them feel like you, you, you know, constantly want to hear from them and you want to know how you can improve. They're going to talk about you, you know, they're going to become your advocates. So pay attention to them. Yeah. And even just, how sales interacts with early stage prospects. I'm constantly reminding people that just because they downloaded a white paper doesn't mean they're ready for a demo and ready for a conversation. <laughs> the one thing you the one thing you know is they downloaded the white paper and they wrote in something about a free form question, like what's the biggest challenge around this topic or whatever. Talk to them about that. Yes, it requires that you read the white paper before you talk to them. They're expecting that you're the expert. So yes, that, that it's a package deal, but <laughs> you know, you know what they expressed interest in. Start there. 
Right. Well, it's so funny because I have, I won't name the company, it's, it's a big one, you know, but, you know, I honestly was just consuming content because I was just curious about some of the content that they were producing, plus, candidly, they were a competitor for, for a former company. So I like to check out what they were doing. And I got hounded so much and so often by their salespeople calling me, emailing me, LinkedIn. And I had to say to them, listen, guys, I'm a marketer. I know how this works. Please put a note in your CRM. I'm not a prospect. <laughs> like, you know, just take me out because I'm not going to buy. So let's save ourselves some time and know that and make sure everybody else on the sales team know that. You know, quit hitting me up for sale because it's not going to happen. So, you know. Put your effort elsewhere. It's the don't call me, I'll call you AI hack of the system figuring out that, oh, okay, I know the persona, I know the content. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll know when there's a hand raising motion going on. This wasn't it. Right, right. Well, Cynthia, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast with me. This has been super helpful, insightful. I know our viewers and listeners and readers will get a lot of value from this. What's the best way for someone to reach out to you if they have any questions or want to connect with you? Are you, are you active on LinkedIn? I'm very active on LinkedIn, um, okay. watching it constantly, you know, I, you know, oversee our social channels too. So constantly on LinkedIn, but just, you know, be very transparent on why you are reaching out to me. You know, because as you said, I, I get bombarded all day long with the, the sales, the sales, you know, I want to connect with you, but you know, it's a sales pitch. So yeah, LinkedIn is a great way to get in touch with me and just, you know, start the conversation there. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This has been super helpful. I wish you all the best in continuing to do great things with ReadyWork and to help build up um, great companies by using innovative, disruptive digital marketing and great customer experience. Great. Thank you so much for having me, Joshua. You're very welcome. Thanks, Cynthia. Thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Digitized Podcast. To subscribe and leave a review, check us out at b2bdigitize.com or wherever you like to consume podcast episodes, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube.